Welcome to Podcast for Christ. My name is Paul Alford. Many of you may know me from Facebook for Christ. This is a new venture, and I trust and pray it also will become a blessing to you and indeed bring much honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 17, reading from verse 1 to verse 8. And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And, behold, there appeared unto them Moses, and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter, and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if thou wilt let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face, and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them, and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when he had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man, save Jesus only. My message today is entitled, The Meeting on the Mountain. Six days of silence prevailed prior to this glorious spectacle of the transfiguration of Christ. The Bible records nothing with reference to what was said or indeed done by the Son of God for six days after he had a meeting with his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, where Peter confirmed his own personal belief that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, in turn, was swiftly informed that as such, the Lord Jesus Christ was the rock upon which the church would be built and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. But it is also during this discussion that he went on to stun Peter and in the process silence Satan by confirming that he must soon be crucified, but on the third day he would rise again as recorded in Matthew sixteen twenty-one. To 23. You see, Peter on this occasion had become a mouthpiece for the devil, and as he sought to persuade the Lord to abandon what his foreordained destiny required. The devil knew from the beginning, when he slithered on his belly in the Garden of Eden, that after the fall or sin of Adam and Eve, there was a pronouncement by God the Father that Christ would be virgin-born, and that a war of the fiercest sort would take place between God the Son and Satan, culminating in the defeat of sin and death, and indeed the devil, at the cross, as recorded in Genesis 3 and the verse 15. Of course, Satan sought at every opportunity to prevent Christ dying upon the cross for the sins of his people, Yes, he wanted the Savior to die, 
but not what was prophesied from the beginning. If he could kill Jesus other than what the scriptures declare, then the Bible would be called into question, and indeed everything God ever said and done. Just like in the garden, when he called into question the command of God to Adam and Eve not to eat of the forbidden fruit, yea, hath God said in Genesis 3 verse 1. So this was a moment of significance, as was other attempts by the devil when he aroused even the religious elite and the people to oppose Jesus and in the process rewrite the narrative. But as underlined by Christ himself in Matthew 26, 56, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets be fulfilled. But despite this interference by the powers of darkness, the Lord left the disciple and the devil in no doubt that while at Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ would wear a crown of thorns, but it would soon be replaced by a crown of glory. For six days after this discussion, there was silence. It reminds me that when we read in the last book of the Bible, when the seventh seal is recorded in Revelation chapter 8 was opened, which was revealing of seven forms of progressive, unspeakable wrath and judgment to be unleashed upon the earth, culminating in the last great battle of Armageddon, where the world's armies led by the Antichrist will be utterly defeated. Verse 1, it declares, there was silence in heaven. So often stunned silence follows or precedes momentous events such as, such as the magnitude of what is about to take place. But as believers, if and when it appears Christ is silent or it seems at a distance from the church or indeed the Christian, expect ere long something extraordinary is about to happen. Never take silence as an indicator that God is inactive but rather be prepared for the implementation of either the sublime, the supernatural, and indeed the fulfillment of Scripture. Because whatever is happening behind the scenes of providence, we can be sure that a sovereign God, who rules and reigns in the kingdoms of men, has firmly all things under his ultimate control. The true and invincible church, which is made up of those that are born again, those that are saved, those whose sins have been washed away in the precious blood of Christ are an unstoppable army marching to Zion, that beautiful city of God. And all that the Father gave the Son before the foundation of the world will be accounted for and no one will be missing. The six days silence as in our study was now broken as Peter, James and John ascended this high mountain of which we have read about to witness the transfiguration of the Saviour, which in essence lifted the corner of the veil, so to speak, which hangs over the glorious world to come. Christ spoke little about heaven. Maybe perhaps it was too glorious to put into words for you and I to comprehend or understand. But here, as they met on the mountain, we have a glimpse into the mysteries of the mysterious. To that end, I want briefly to look at what we learn from the meeting on the mountain. 
Firstly, I want you to notice glorification. We read in Matthew 17, verse 1 to 2, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. The transfiguration of the Lord Jesus was a display of his glory, which he had with his father before the world was, as recorded in John 17, verse 5. The word transfigured is a Greek term that describes an exalting, glorifying change. And here on the mountain, the Lord Jesus Christ was transfigured, but not transformed. He remained the one who was rich, but for our sakes he became poor. He made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. Yet in this glorious and spectacular moment, he merely displayed what was there all the time but hidden. It was his everlasting glorious state, but concealed from his disciples. John sums it up. In John chapter 1 and the verse 5, we beheld his glory. No matter what language we use to describe the glory of Christ, it is but a drop in the ocean of his supernatural supremacy and splendor. No single drawing, painting, photograph, or verbal description could capture what is beyond our wildest imagination definition or indeed understanding because this undefined attribute is not part of God it's all of God the majestic magnitude of the master is incomparable he alone is crowned with glory and honor little wonder we read in Psalm 57 verse 5 be thou exalted O God above the heavens let thy glory be above all the earth then secondly, we have a confirmation. Verse 3, And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. This appearance of Moses and Elias confirms that there's life after death. Moses at this stage was now dead 1,500 years. And 900 years earlier was the death, or as the scripture tells us, Elijah was taken up to heaven by a whirlwind. But now both men appeared upon this mountain with the master. Death, you see, is not the end, but rather it is an open door to an eternal existence. We forever live beyond the grave, and for the believer, heaven is to be with Jesus. The graveyards of our nation are merely a holding place where our corrupt bodies lie, but in resurrection's glorious morning, our remains shall rise from the cold, dark tomb where the Lord shall change our vile bodies that it may be fashioned unto his glorious body. Thus, not only will be, we be like him, but we will see him as he is. Hebrews 9.27, it's a, appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. There is an after this. And what we do with Jesus Christ will determine where will we be in God's endless eternity. As the thud of the clay is heard upon the lid of our coffin, and those immortal words are uttered 
by the cleric, dost thou art and dost thou shalt return. Let us remember, we are more alive than we ever, ever have been. But the question we must all ask ourselves when we close our eyes in death, what do we see when we first open them in the great after this? The after this becomes the here and now. Thirdly, we have an identification. Many ask the question, shall we know each other in heaven? The scene before us furnishes us with the answer. Notice Peter immediately knew the identity of the two men that stood on the mountain with the Lord. He knew their names, even though he never met them before. He said in verse 4, Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses, and one for Elias or Elijah. It appears the names that we are known by here on the earth will be what we are known by in heaven, and facial recognition will be immediate. Even those people we have never met from every century of man's existence, we will recognize and be able to call them by their name. What a thrill it will be to meet the legends of Bible history. Adam, Eve, Noah, Abraham, Ruth, David, the Apostle Paul, to name but a few. But what a joy it will be to meet and greet our loved ones again. Those who have gone on before and left a void that has been almost impossible to fill, to hear their voices again will be a tremendous experience. Uh, to feel their embrace uh, will be an opportunity, a wonderful opportunity for we who are the people of God. First Thessalonians 4.17 tells us, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. You see, there is a great reunion day for the people of God, a day where an innumerable multitude from every kindred, tribe, and nation will gather as the adopted family of God. It is obvious and clear there is no strangers in heaven. Then we have communication number four. In verse three, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with him, that is Jesus. And verse 5, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Moses and Elias did not engage in a conversation with Peter, James, or John. And Peter only engaged in a conversation with the Master. The only people we have contact in heaven with is the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no communication with any saint, nor have they any contact with us. A saint, of course, is not some religious figure. It is someone who has died in Christ. Those who are born again and those whose sins have been washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. Thus their salvation is dependent not on religion, but redemption. Not in a church, but in Christ alone. Our voices are only heard in the heavenlies by God. And if we seek to talk to the Father, it will only be through God the Son, as confirmed in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. The only mediator between God and man is the man Christ Jesus. Then fifthly, we have a conversation. There was a conversation upon the high mountain between Moses, Elias, and the Savior. 
And Luke tells us that it was about the cross. Luke 9.31 And spake of his decease which should be accomplished at Jerusalem. From the beginning of time as we know it, Calvary was the master plan of God. It was no afterthought as declared in uh, Revelation 13 verse 8, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It was not the only foundation upon which the Old and New Testament believers stood. It is also the grand and glorious theme of heaven. The only communication in heaven is between those that are there and the cross is the topic of conversation. Revelation 5.13 And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and as such are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. The only one who is the focus and the praise of heaven's glory is the one whose hands and feet are scarred by the nails of Calvary. It is he and he alone as the Lamb that is the focus of heaven's attention. The testimony of God's own people who are already beyond the sky as recorded in Revelation 2.11, is that they overcame him, that is the devil, by the blood of the Lamb, that very blood that was shed upon the cross, and the word of their testimony. The cross, you see, is where redemption is found and where the devil is defeated. How imperative it is for the Christian, and indeed the church, to preach the cross, it should be the central theme of our witness and testimony. May it be our determination, as it was for the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians one twenty three. we preach Christ crucified. He went on to say in 1 Corinthians one seventeen, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. He went on to say in Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. He said in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, For I am determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is clear the calling and responsibility of the church and the Christian is to tell the world about the cross. But if we feel God to do so by appeasing those who reject the gospel message, we may have the applause of our audience, but we will be condemned utterly by the Lord himself. Oh, stern warning comes from Galatians 1, verse 7 to 9. In fact, it is repeated. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, 
let them be accursed. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accursed. The original Greek will declare that those words, let him be accursed, mean let him be damned in hell. The most hated person in hell must surely be the false preacher who was silent as his congregation lived and died and went to the bowels of the damned and never ever told them about their need of God's salvation that was purchased at the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we have recommendation. First four of Matthew 17, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Once Peter got up into that mountain, he didn't want to come down again. He suggested to make three tabernacles, which are like a, a tent type thing, made from branches, a temporary shelter. Peter didn't want anyone to leave the mountain. It was such a unique and wonderful experience. Like heaven, once we get there, we will not want to leave transported to a land that is fairer than day, a place described in Revelation 21.4, where God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. No, teen, no tears will stain our cheeks ever again. No graveyard will scar the landscape of glory. No black limousine will be seen driven through the golden streets of the New Jerusalem. No hospital skyscrapers will be seen towering on the horizon of heaven. No sad goodbyes at the door of death, because glory to God, the former things are passed away. First Corinthians tells us in 2 verse 9 to 10, but as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. We cannot begin to comprehend what awaits us in glory. A poem was sent to me by a dear friend, and it's called Perhaps. Perhaps if we could see the splendor of the land to which our loved ones are called from you and me, then we'd understand. Perhaps if we could hear the welcome they receive from old familiar voices all so dear, we would not grieve. Perhaps if we could know the reason why they went, we'd smile and wipe away the tears that flow. We'd wait content. Number six, we have a verification. Peter wanted to erect a tabernacle for Moses, Elijah, and Christ, and immediately God the Father intervened with a message of verification. Verse five, while he yet spake, that is Peter, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. God the Father was verifying 
that the Lord Jesus Christ was his be, 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 beloved son of whom he was well pleased. Therefore, he has no equal. And as such, it is to Christ we must listen. He cannot be put on a par with anyone else. This tears to pieces the false and monstrous teaching of Islam who believe that Christ is not the Son of God. It destroys the damnable teaching of Mormonism and of the Jehovah Witness. It also plunges the papacy into crisis as mere man, whether he's dressed in white or not, does not compare or stand in the place of Christ. God the Father is so adamant that he who, according to Isaiah 42, 8, will not give his glory to another, will not tolerate or accept his beloved Son being on the same level as any individual on the face of the planet. Romans eleven thirty six makes it very clear, for of him, that is Christ, and through him, and to him, are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. In Galatians 1.18, it also makes it very clear that in all things he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, might have the preeminence. How important it is that as Christians, our sole purpose and our solitary aim should now and always be the exaltation of Jesus Christ. He did not die to exalt any religious figure. And if we are not promoting the Savior, we are completely and absolutely out, out of step with Almighty God. And if we are saying that Christ is not the Son of God, we line up with the Antichrist and are in bondage to Satan. First John 4, 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Thereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. How sad it is that Roman Catholicism elevates Mary. Islam elevates Muhammad. Yet God says, Christ, this is my beloved son. son. This is the only one to whom he gives consent to, and it is to him alone of whom he is well pleased. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who, according to Revelation 1, verse 5, is the faithful witness, has therefore the divine approval of the Almighty. Also confirmed in Hebrews 1, 2, God hath in these last days spoken unto us, who by? By his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the worlds. Therefore, no wonder. No one else will the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, exalt, as recorded in John 16 and the verse 4. He, that is the Holy Spirit, shall glorify me, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are not exalting the Savior, the only begotten Son of God, then we have not the Holy Spirit with us, or indeed in us. Then we have an observation. We observe that Elijah and Moses disappeared from the scene that day. Verse 8, and when they had lifted up their eyes, 
They saw no man save Jesus only. When all is said and done, you see, it is obvious that Christ not only took center stage upon the mountain that day, but the Bible and beyond is all about him. Our gaze should never be upon any other but Jesus to worship and to serve. If you are unconverted today, if you want your condemnation lifted immediately today, if you want your sins cleansed, your pardon and peace secure, a home in heaven today, it will be because of Jesus only. The Bible is makes it very clear in Acts 4 and the verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none on their name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If Jesus only is the obvious motto that God approves, surely it should and must be the motto statement of every church and every Christian. You see, if Christ is all we have, Christ is all we need. And if we are to enter through the gates of the new Jerusalem, it will be be because of Jesus only. God bless you, and thank you for your company today. Amen.